0: Well, the Zags are set to host the Grizzlies of Montana in late December at the Kennel, the exact kind of non-conference game many fans love to see them schedule. So we're going to think of some more fun games they could potentially add to the rest of their non-conference schedule, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. We are in late July, the midst of the college basketball offseason, and I sincerely appreciate every single one of you who has continued to make the show a part of your morning or afternoon or whenever routine. It is very much appreciated. The Zags recently added a new game to their non-conference schedule. So much attention has been put on the very, very high-profile games Gonzaga has on the schedule. Of course, Baylor in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. They're playing Michigan State on an airplane carrier in San Diego. They're, of course, playing Alabama in Birmingham. They're playing Washington, as they always do. And, of course, they're going to participate in the PK-85 in Portland, which could lend them multiple very, very high-profile opponents, including Duke, Florida, Purdue, Xavier, etc., etc. But... The Zags are not going to play every single one of their non-conference games against elite, top-tier, top-40 caliber programs. That's just not the way that things work. And Gonzaga has been... Criticize is maybe not the correct word, although certainly there is a segment of Gonzaga fans and a larger segment of non-Gonzaga fans who will criticize every single time Gonzaga doesn't play like the best opponent possible. No team in the entire NCAA plays every single one of their non-conference opponents against top 50 or even top 100 or even top 150 teams. It's very, very rare for even the best teams to have all of their non-conference games against really good opponents. You have to have some bye games. You have some games against teams that are often outside the top 300 per Ken Palm. Gonzaga has, has done this for a very long time. But we saw them add a very, very fun game to their calendar. They are going to play Montana. The Grizzlies of Montana will come back to the kennel. They will be playing there on December 20th of this year. It'll be the first time that Montana has been in the kennel since 2015. I had forgotten about this game. I think there's probably a lot of Gonzaga fans who maybe don't remember this game in particular as well, and that's because it wasn't a very fun game. The Zags did win. I think we would remember if Gonzaga had lost to Montana, but they only won by three. They escaped with a three-point victory, 61-58. to I cannot imagine the takes on the good old Twitter machine, if the Zag scored 61 points against a team like Montana in the year 2022, but 2015 was a bit of a different time. It was kind of an odd season for Gonzaga. One of my favorite seasons in Gonzaga basketball history, if only because it's the really only time in the last... Decade that there has been some legitimate concern that Gonzaga would not make the NCAA tournament. They, of course, did that year and had a tremendous run defeating Utah in the second round before losing to Syracuse in the Sweet 16. It was an awesome season. Or an awesome result at the end of the season, I should say, but it was a bit of a tenuous actual regular season. Gonzaga suffered some some losses that they don't normally suffer. And again, here in this case, Kyle Wilcher and DeMontis Savonis carried this team combined for 32 points, 19 boards, uh, in order for Gonzaga to squeak by with a victory over Travis DeKir's squad in Memphis. I want to talk about Coach DeKir in a minute because he is, in his ninth season... At the head coach for the Montana Grizzlies, they haven't had a losing season ever in the time that he has been the head coach for the Grizzlies. They have never had a losing season. They have made the NCAA tournament twice in that time period in 2018 and 2019. This is a solid low-level program. This is a solid program in a lower-level conference, of course, in the big sky. Uh, And I love this kind of game for Gonzaga. I love this kind of game for Gonzaga. If you've listened to previous podcasts, there have been a couple times where I've kind of postulated on what teams I would like to add to Gonzaga's schedule. It comes up on Mailbag. I think I did a separate segment talking about it at one point as well. And this is the exact kind of game. Local teams or local ish teams, as local as you can be. Certainly, there are a lot of Gonzaga fans who live in Montana, a lot of fans in Idaho who would be fans of either of those programs. So, it makes sense to bring a regional opponent into Spokane. And it's a good program. They finished last year and Ken Palm 138th. That is good. That is higher than many WCC programs, that is higher than many WAC programs, that is higher than many Power Five programs. Not Maybe not many, but it is higher than some Power Five programs. Top 150 teams, one of the top half teams in the entire Division I circuit last season. This is a good, solid Montana squad. Are they going to beat Gonzaga? Is there a very high likelihood of that? I mean, probably not. You never know. I certainly don't want to get on this podcast here in in July and tell you for certain what's going to happen in December. That doesn't seem like a good idea, but I, I think this is a better challenge for Gonzaga. And I think people have started to get a little bit tired of the... And I don't want to pick on any programs in particular, although these are programs that they have played with the Texas Southerns, the Alcorn States, those kinds of programs. And it's not anything against them specifically. There's just no, there's no regional attachment. There's no, like, really not a lot of crossover for fans. Like, you know, there, there are people out there and shoot me a note if you're one of them where one person in the family went to Gonzaga and another person went to Montana. I guarantee you that exists in a fairly decent amount of families that are in that area who live in Idaho, who live in Montana, who live in Eastern Washington, who probably have some some family ties, some some connections to both of these programs. That's a lot less likely between Gonzaga and Texas Southern or Alcorn State or Tarleton State or Bellarmine or any other programs. Like that. And I think that's what makes it more fun. College basketball, at its core, is fun. It is. Not the moneymaker that football is, although it is still obviously a significant revenue generator. But when you talk about non-conference games, you want to see fun games like this. You want to see the fun pictures of one person in the family wearing a Montana sweatshirt and one wearing a Gonzaga sweatshirt. You want to see that in the crowd, which I know is tough because it's very difficult to get tickets to a game in the kennel. But that's the kind of stuff that's more fun. To me, this is just fun. And again, it's a better opponent. Is Gonzaga's season going to hinge on whether they play Montana or Alcorn State in December? No, I don't think so. That would be quite surprising if that were the case. But at the end of the day, it's a slightly better opponent. It makes Gonzaga a little bit better, and it's more fun. It's a win-win. It's a win-win-win-win-win for, for all parties here. It's obviously great for Montana. They get an opportunity to go out and play against one of, if not the best team in the entire nation. All mini programs want to get that opportunity. For them, they get to, you know, play in front of a crowd where there might be some Montana fans there. Certainly they might have some some regional connections to the program, to the university. And I just think that's that's a really cool opportunity. There are plenty more chances for Gonzaga to add games similar to this. We already know the rest of the non-conference schedule that they have. We laid we laid them out earlier. North Florida is kind of the only other not super elite program that's on the schedule so far. Of course, Michigan State, Texas, Baylor, Washington, Alabama, and the three games they are going to play in the PK-85. By my count, that leaves five more games. When I talked a few weeks ago on this podcast or last week on this podcast about teams that I wanted to see Gonzaga add Montana was one of the teams that I mentioned, and I'm going to continue with that kind of trend. I would love to see them play like eastern Washington, another big sky school, another obviously very, very regional game. It's much closer than Montana. It's only 30 miles away. I think that that would be extremely cool. They could play them in the kennel. They could even play them in the arena, allow some more eastern Washington fans to get the opportunity to go. Of course, I've championed bringing back the Washington State rivalry game as well. I understand why that was canceled for Gonzaga. I understand that it might not be something they can quickly and easily pick back up, although obviously the connection between Mark Few and Kyle Smith, the former USF head coach, seems like they could bring that game back together it's not going to happen this year I can pretty much guarantee you that Uh, other games Idaho Idaho's not good they would fall into that like not top 300 programs per Ken Palm but I would rather them play them than an SWAC school that's not regionally tied to Gonzaga like if you're going to play a a bad team and kind of pick up a, a relatively easy victory do it against a school like Idaho do it against somebody who's, who's local, who's around here, where, again, there's some of that kind of overlap between, between fans and families. I think that that's more fun. Uh, other programs, Seattle U is, is a program I've long championed for Gonzaga to try to get on the non-conference schedule. Uh, I I have a a tie there. Speaking of family ties, that's where I got my graduate degree. Uh, Undergrad at Gonzaga, graduate at Seattle U would be a fun game for me to get a chance to watch. I think, you know, Grand Canyon, not as regional, but like a good quality basketball program that I think makes some sense for Gonzaga to be playing. Like, I would just prefer to see those kinds of games. And this, this game getting added to the calendar is a big step forward in that regard. Again, Montana hasn't had a losing season in a decade. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to beat Gonzaga, but they're going to give them more of a challenge than many of the other games Gonzaga could have theoretically scheduled in this game's place. And for that, I'm happy. I'm happy for Mark Few. I'm happy for Montana. I'm happy for the families. that get to watch a game where they have uh, ties to both programs. I think it's going to be a really fun one. Uh, Again, December 20th in the kennel. It's going to be a good one there. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. I'm going to discuss a recent news story that the D1 Council recommended the NCAA changed the transfer rules. It's a relatively small change, but one that could impact Gonzaga and will have an impact across the NCAA if it is put into place. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the off season, but the MLB, WNBA, and MLS seasons are heating up into the summer months. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines on coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline where the game starts. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still hammering through... Friday episode here in segment two, we're going to talk about the NCAA, a new ruling that came down, or a new recommendation, I should say. It is not a ruling yet. This came from the Division I Council. They are recommending that the NCAA do away with the one-time transfer rule. So in the last couple of years, we have seen the NCAA make very dramatic changes that almost every single one of them has impacted student-athlete autonomy. Effectively, We have started to see student-athletes push and succeed in getting more ability to make their own decisions, to run their own lives effectively. Obviously, the biggest change has been the NIL. Student-athletes can now finally profit off of their name image likeness. The NCAA was raking in billions upon billions of dollars off of the backs of student-athletes' hard work, and they were not getting a penny of that. At least they were not legally getting a penny of that money now, of course, that is an opportunity that student athletes can find ways to make money, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars through NIL sponsorship deals. That is huge, that is significant overwhelmingly positive. Yes, there are some things that need to be ironed out with the way that NIL is being currently operated, but it is a generally very positive thing. Transfer portal has been a significant change as well, allowing student-athletes to transfer without seeing a one-year penalty where they'd have to sit out for a year. Uh, It's always been the student-athletes have always had the ability to apply for waivers and have been granted them at a relatively high rate. Once COVID happened, they then made the decision to effectively just grant them for everybody. Uh, one of the few stipulations was that if a student athlete was transferring for a second time, they would not be automatically granted a waiver of eligibility right away. They would have to apply for one. That's really the only change here is the NCAA is, or excuse me, the D1 Council is effectively telling the NCAA, hey, that, just get rid of that too. Student athletes can transfer. They're free to transfer whenever they want, they can, they can transfer and they can transfer multiple times. They can transfer after their freshman year, their sophomore year, their junior year, and they can still do it without having to sit out for a year. I, I want to point out that there, I, I think we've seen some pretty strong reactions to this. And, and it's kind of interesting to me because this it impacts a very small percentage of student athletes. This is not this like commonly prevalent issue. I think there's some concern that, oh, now student athletes are going to just transfer every single year. They're going to enter the portal every single year. And I really don't think that that's going to happen. You know, if you want to timestamp this and remind me in a year when there's 5,000 kids in the transfer portal, sure, maybe I will admit, or I will admit if that's the case that I was wrong, but I just don't think that that's going to happen. I think we've already seen when student-athletes want to transfer twice, want to transfer for a second time, often it is for a compelling enough reason that the NCAA gives them a waiver anyway, or they're already at the point in their career where they are going to grad transfer. Rasir Bolton transferred for a second time when he came to Gonzaga. He did not have to apply for a waiver because he was a graduate student. And so he was coming straight to Gonzaga after getting his undergrad degree at Iowa State. There was no problem. There was no there was no drama about that. Eric McClellan also transferred twice. The Zacks have had players who have transferred twice in the program before. It is not that uncommon to see that happen. And Oftentimes those players get waivers. So I, I don't think this is going to impact a seriously large amount of student athletes. There will be more student athletes who choose to enter the portal after having already done so because they know that they don't have to go through the waiver process and play the waiting game and keep their fingers crossed. So I do think that it'll have some impact there. But we already kind of saw this. I think the, the reason that I saw this coming, and I think a lot of people saw this coming, the specific example at least that I can think of is a, a player named Devin Askew. For those of you who have not heard of him, he began his collegiate career at Kentucky, Was started every game for them, played like 30 minutes per night as a true freshman, was a top, I think, 50, maybe top 25 recruit in his class, but wasn't particularly good at Kentucky, didn't fit all that well, decided to transfer, went to Texas, played right away for the Longhorns last year under coach Chris Beard, and was frankly, even worse. He only averaged two points per game, played less, about half as many minutes as he had played at Kentucky. And so he entered the portal again. And he's now entering his third season of college, going to go to a third different school, got accepted at Cal. And shortly after he was accepted at Cal, it was revealed that the NCAA had granted his waiver and he was immediately eligible. There wasn't really a compelling reason. You know, Chris Beard didn't leave Texas. He's not from the Bay Area, I don't believe. So there wasn't like a a super strong reason that he should be an exception to the rule, which kind of made it seem like that wasn't a rule that was being enforced all that much or that the NCAA was just willing to give out these waivers uh, in, in situations like this, which is why the D1 Council making this recommendation and the NCAA likely taking this recommendation that has not been confirmed Makes some sense to me. I just, we're at a spot now where college athletes have the power, they have the authority, they have said what their piece, they have, you know, gone out and advocated for themselves. And now they're getting a piece of the pie, they're getting financial gains out of what they're doing because they're working very, very hard and have earned those financial gains. And now they're getting the ability to go test out the free market. I've said this on this podcast before is capitalism? And college athletics shouldn't have been shielded from capitalism. The point of college is to teach people about the quote-unquote real world. Now, we can debate the merits of whether college is doing that, whether college should be doing that, whether athletics should be involved in that. We can we can have those conversations, and certainly there's some nuance there. But at the end of the day... If you are treating college athletes like they are not allowed to make money off of their work, which is the antithesis of the American dream entirely, and you're also treating them like you are not allowed to change jobs, you are not allowed to look for different opportunities, you are not allowed to try to find ways to make more money or better yourself or change your career, you have to stay at this school, you can't go anywhere else. If you do, you get penalized. That's not how America works. That's not how the working world works. If I wanna switch careers, if I wanna change jobs, I can go do that. It might be a mistake. I might end up going somewhere that is worse fit for me, that is worse for my career, all of that. But I have the ability to do that. And that's what I think was getting lost here. People are going to point to, we'll, we'll use Devin Askew as the example, and people are going to say, he's making a mistake. He shouldn't do that. Maybe. That absolutely might be correct. But he should have the right to do it. Like, that's that's where the argument falls flat for me. Is like, well, he should have to sit out of here. He should be penalized for doing that. Why? Yes, I do understand some of the reasons why, to be, to be clear. I understand that this is a headache for coaches, that this is a challenge for fans who, don't, who, who see more players coming in and out of the program, who, aren't, who are used to seeing guys be there for three, four years. I understand it's a difference, and it's a bit uncomfortable, and I understand why coaches don't like it. I do, but it, it, it doesn't mean it's not right. It's right for student-athletes to have the ability to choose where they want to play basketball and to be able to re, reevaluate that on a year-to-year basis. That is the correct thing to do. And and I'm using basketball, but this applies to all sports as well. You should have that right. You should have that ability to to make decisions that are better for you. And again, you may make mistakes. They will. Student athletes will make mistakes on this. They do every single year. That's just a part of it. They're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to choose wrong. They may choose wrong twice, but they should not be penalized for that. All right, that is going to do it for the second segment. We're going to come back in segment number three, and we're going to talk about the West Coast Conference, specifically the non-Zags who participated in the NBA Summer League. I've been meaning to do this for a while since Summer League ended. Lots of guys, lots of guys that the Zags have played against had really nice performances in the Summer League. We're going to talk about that and what it might mean for their NBA future right after this. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're talking WCC hoops. We're talking the six non-Gonzaga Bulldogs who participated in the NBA Summer League out of the West Coast Conference this past year. We're going to talk about how they did, what it means for their NBA future. We'll start with the highest selected WCC player in the 2022 NBA draft. Outside of, of course, Chet Holmgren, that would be Jalen Williams, who was drafted also by the Oklahoma City Thunder and is now teammates with Chet. Uh, Williams, of course, played at Santa Clara last year, was a very quick riser through the NBA draft prospect. Process. Excuse me. After he had a really, really big wingspan, and people started watching his tape and realizing, oh, holy hell, this guy's very, very good at basketball. We saw that as Gonzaga fans saw him a couple of times at Santa Clara, and he averaged 18 points per game, shot 44% from deeps, got a seven foot two wingspan. That's gonna get you some attention. And he ended up going, like I said, 12th overall, just inside the NBA draft lottery. He played four games for the Thunder during their summer league season. He played about 26 minutes per night, averaged 10 and a half points, three boards, about three assists one and a half steals per game. He shot just under 46% from the field, which is pretty good, but he shot 12 and percent from deep. That's not going to cut it. Obviously talking about a guy who shot 40 something percent in college to shoot 12% across four games, fairly meaningless numbers. Obviously Oklahoma city would have liked to see a few more of those shots go down through the cup. And certainly Jalen Williams would have liked to see more shots go down as well. But he's still going to be an integral part of what Oklahoma City does in the short term and the long term. He's going to be a rotation guy right away for Oklahoma City. He's going to play big minutes. I'm really excited. I'm going to be watching a lot of Thunder games this year, which I know makes some people a little bit queasy. But we got to see what Chet's doing. I think the, the combination of Chet and Josh Giddy is going to be super fun to watch. Shea Gilgis alexander in there as well. And, of course, Jalen Williams getting to watch two WCC guys on the same team. Going to be a lot of fun. Next up the only other guy who has an official contract signed is Jamari Bouye. San Francisco dons legend. He signed a contract with the Miami Heat to compete for a roster spot. It is not, not guaranteed that he is going to be on the roster when the season starts, but obviously them signing him to a contract during summer league is a pretty good sign that they like what he's bringing to the, to the team, like his ability to potentially contribute to the Miami roster at some point. This upcoming season, he played four games for Miami during the summer league, 26 minutes per night as well. Six and a half points, four and a half rebounds, three assists, just under two steals per game. I, he didn't shoot it all that well. I only shot 23% from deep, only about 24% from the field because most of his attempts were from beyond the arc. Uh, again, another guy who was an excellent three-point shooter in college. He was very, very good overall score. Just a just a darn good basketball player at San Francisco. Good defensive player, good offensive player, a great ball handler. Just He's got really good moves. He's very crafty, and he's a good outside shooter didn't show all of that in his four games with Miami during summer league but showed enough for them to give him a contract. I think he's an NBA guy. Size is the biggest attractor for him. He's just not all that big and when you're not all that big and you're not a intense playmaker, he's a score first guard who's under 6-2. That's a tough That's a tough position to be in. There's not a lot of those in the NBA, but he has the ability to be that guy. If he becomes a really knockdown shooter, I think he's going to carve out a role. It may not be a huge role, but it will be a role. And the fact that Miami signed him is a good indication he's on his way towards that. Next up, another undersized guard out of the University of San Francisco. That is Frankie Ferrari. He's from a couple of years ago, so it was a bit of a blast from the past for those of us who've been watching Gonzaga and WCC basketball for the last few years. Uh, Ferrari played for the Kings. He played three games with Sacramento, also about 26 minutes per night, six and a half points, three boards, four assists per game, shot 31% from deep. Ferrari's been kind of a summer league legend for the last couple of years. He's been a guy who has played well at every single stop, hasn't gotten the opportunity to play in the NBA just yet. Again, he's an undersized guy, A little lacks a little bit of athleticism, hasn't been a consistent enough scorer to really merit that that role. I think if he were to get a chance in the G League, he would be the kind of guy who would put up eye-popping numbers in the G League. I don't know if that would give him a chance to actually be a guy in the NBA or not, but I think he he's, he's right there. He's kind of like... There's, there's a whole huge subset of players who are not quite good enough to be NBA rotation players but are too good to be G League players. Some of those guys, of course, go overseas and have very lucrative careers over there. Some of them just stick out around here, play in the G League, put up big numbers there, occasionally get shots in the NBA. I could see Ferrari being that guy if he wants to. I could see him also going back overseas and having a really successful career over there. Next up, Colby Ross. Colby Ross, of course, Pepperdine legend. Uh, he played for the Portland Trailblazers, a team that I watched quite a bit in the summer league, and he was fantastic. I, there, he looked like the Colby Ross that gave Gonzaga fits during his four years at Pepperdine. One of, not, not one of, Pepperdine's greatest basketball player of all time, one of the most successful college basketball point guards of all time as well. Five games for the Blazers, he averaged six and a half points, 2.6 assists, 2.2 rebounds per game. Shot 38% from deep. He was lighting it up from beyond the arc for Portland shortly after the NBA Summer League wrapped up. He signed a contract overseas, so he is out. He is not going to be in the G League. He's not going to be in the NBA. Uh, same problem he has as Frankie has, as Jamari Bouye has. He's just undersized. If if I've main I've said this on Twitter before I think this is the first time saying it on the podcast but I believe strongly that if Colby Ross was six foot four he would be in the NBA I believe that very strongly he is so talented he's such a good passer he's so crafty he's such a good shooter he's just undersized he's just not big enough to to stick in the NBA but he's going to have a very lucrative career overseas uh, and he started out with a, a new contract just last week. Next up, Tommy Cousy. Tommy Cousy, of course, St. Mary's graduate. Guy who felt like he was with the Gales for the better part of a decade, but he is out now. He played with the Orlando Magic in Summer League this year. Three games averaged a whopping 17.3 points per game, along with 3.3 assists, three steals, and two boards. He had the best Summer League of anybody, in the G- or anybody out of uh, the WCC outside of Chet Holmgren. 17 points per game. He was awesome. Now, it was three games, and he had one really, really good game, which is what helped. But still, he looked excellent. He shot 40% from deep. He shot 58% from the field. He, He couldn't have done a whole lot better than what he did. Now... Cousy's an older prospect, which you kind of expect some of the older, craftier guys to have success in the Summer League. He's a pick-and-roll machine, and he worked really hard to get better at his outside shooting. I, I'm happy for him, as happy as I can be for a Gale, obviously, but these this were these were incredible numbers for him. He he looked every bit the part of a legitimate NBA player in the Summer League. I don't expect him to get signed. I, I just think that his age, his size, the same situation that a lot of the other guys run into. He was fairly inconsistent throughout college. I don't think he showed a to really merit an NBA roster spot currently. I don't think he's going to get a two-way contract. If he sticks around here, stays in the G League, gets gets a contract there, I think he's going to do really well. In the G League, but again, there's a lot of guys who do really well in the G League, and not a lot of them end up making it into the NBA. Unfortunately, but it was nice to see him perform well. It once again lends some credence to the fact that the Zags weren't just playing a bunch of plumbers this season in the WCC. They were playing some darn good basketball players, and the folks who watched Orlando in the Summer League got a good glimpse of that when they saw Kusi on the court. And last but not least, BYU's Alex Barcelo. Barcelo played three games for the Toronto Raptors this season. He or this uh, Summer League season, he averaged three and a half points. 1.7 boards and 2 assists per game. He didn't really get a lot of opportunities. Uh, he didn't play very many minutes. He only played 3 of Toronto's games. I uh, shot 33% from deep, which is below what you'd expect from a guy who shot about 50% in college, but again, it's hard to judge him off of a very small sample size of shot attempts that that he put up for the Raptors. I'm not surprised again, he's a bit he's bigger than a lot of the other guards we've been talking about. He's got a little bit more size, a little bit more strength on him. He's a he's a hard-working defense. Player, but he's a bit limited athletically. The only really NBA caliber skill set that he possesses is that outside shooting, which is a very important skill. For the record, quite argue if you had to pick one skill to have that's NBA caliber, it'd be on the list. It'd be it'd be one of the top ones. I'd probably pick athleticism, but outside of that, three point shooting is really really important, and he has that. But he's lacking in other areas, and I'm I'd be pretty surprised if he gets much of a look in the NBA. But again, if he wants to stick around in the G League. I think he's going to be, he's going to be a guy who can definitely play at that level, but I'm just not sure the rest of the, of the profile there projects as an NBA caliber guy. All right. That is going to do it for me today. And for this week, lots of fun stuff coming up next week, as we close out the month of July, all right here on the locked on Zags podcast available, wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. I want to thank all of you again, who have made locked on Zags, your first listen of the day, Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.